are listening to Understanding Christianity. I am your host. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor of Old and New Testament and Biblical Interpretation at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I do want to just remind you as a listener, if you haven't checked out my new book, 40 Days in Philippians, Finding Joy in Jesus through G3 Press. I encourage you to go check that out. It's a 40-day devotional. It is not basically what you would find in some of the modern type devotions that are fluffy and don't deal with text. Um, It's very accessible. It has uh, verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Philippians, but it also has helps in there to help you pray and to worship and to grow closer to the Lord through finding joy in Jesus. And so I would appreciate if you check that out. Also, I'm going to be at G3 this year. There's going to be a book signing opportunity with the bookstore, and so I will be at G3 in Atlanta, Georgia in September. So if you are a listener who's going to be at the G3 conference this year, I'd love to talk to you, to interact with you. It would be great to meet you and to encourage you and also just to have some mutual encouragement between brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I am very appreciative to uh, the guys at G3 and their ministry and how they have helped me grow spiritually as well as publishing the book. And so it's going to be a great annual conference um, in Atlanta in September at the G3 conference. What I wanted to do in this podcast, and this may not take very long, is just walk through John chapter 6. As many of you know that have been listening to me for a long time, um, I was heavily influenced by Dr. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries back in 2000, and I think it was 2000 or 2001. I think it was 2000. He was my apologetics professor back when it was called Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, the Rocky Mountain campus here in Denver. Now it's called Gateway Seminary, but he uh, gave us a copy of the Potter's Freedom, and at that time he was very instrumental in helping me understand the doctrines of grace and Reformed theology. And I still listen to Alpha and Omega Ministries, and he and I both interact with Leighton Flowers. And James White has said over the years many times that only someone who has Reformed theology can walk through John chapter 6, verse by verse, and exegetically deal with the issues that are there and come to a reformed understanding of God's sovereign work of grace in salvation and effectual calling and all of these issues related to the grammar and the context. And so what I want to do is just briefly walk through John chapter 6. I'm not going to jump out of John chapter 6. I'm not going to import things that are in the text that I think are there that aren't there. And we're just going to walk through it. And then as we walk through it, I'm going to maybe give some points of of how provisionists, i.e. those like Leighton Flowers and others, understand John chapter 6. Now, one thing you need to understand about the Gospel of John is that there are seven I am statements where Jesus says, I am. And the first one is in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. There's seven of these. Also in the Gospel of John, John uses the word sign, the Greek word sameon, sign to signify Jesus doing miracles. And so the reason that John uses the term sign is because it signifies a greater reality than just a mere miracle. Jesus isn't just feeding the 5,000. He's not just walking on water. These are, yes, miracles, but they're signs 
to point to a greater reality of who Jesus is. And so the crowds have been fed. The 5,000 has been fed literally with bread and fish. Their stomachs have been filled. They've been satisfied. They have experienced a wonderful miracle, uh, very similar to what the ancient Israelites experienced in the wilderness when God provided manna and quail every day from heaven. It was bread that came down from heaven. It was miraculous back then. Jesus does a miraculous sign here. They see Jesus, the Messiah, in the flesh. And then he even rose across the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side, to Capernaum. They follow him all the way across to the other side. And so they are interested. They see him in the flesh. They've experienced a miracle. They are curious. But the ultimate issue in John chapter 6 is that these people are not believers. They're not believing in Jesus. So that's the ultimate issue. The question is, why are they not believing in Jesus? And so Jesus gives us the answer to that question. So we are going to pick up in verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Okay, that's the key issue there. Verse 36, Jesus says, listen, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. I'm the true source of spiritual nourishment. I am the greater Moses. I am here in the flesh giving you not just bread to fill your stomachs for temporary hunger needs, but I am the ultimate source of spiritual salvation. I am the bread of life. But here's the problem. You've seen me with your own eyes. You've had the bread that I've given you. I've done this miraculous sign, but you do not believe. Okay, why are they not believing? Is it because they have libertarian free will to just resist? Is it because they're judicially hardened? That's the answer that the provisionists give. Like Leighton Flowers, they would say, these Jews at this time were judicially hardened because they'd kept refusing and refusing, and so there's a partial judicial hardening, and that's why they can't believe at that specific point in time. And then later on, when Jesus is lifted up, and when he's uh, crucified and risen again, then those Jews who were temporarily judicially hardened, then they can come to faith, but this is a, a, a temporary judicial hardening. Now, here's the burden of proof that the provisionist has to provide. Where in this text does it teach anything related to judicial hardening? Jesus gives us the answer. So let's just walk through and see what Jesus says. Why are they not believing? Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, this very clearly teaches sovereign election. This very clearly teaches what we call in Reformed theology the covenant of redemption. Now, obviously the word covenant of redemption is not in the text. This is more of a theological construct related to understanding that the Father has given to Jesus a particular people. 
We know from the rest of Scripture that this selection or election or predestination of a particular number of people was given before the foundation of the world. So the covenant of redemption involves the compact or the covenant or the agreement between the Father and the Son and and, and really the Holy Spirit, the triune God, to bring about the salvation fully and finally of a particular people. The Father would choose those people. Jesus would be given those people in sovereign election. Jesus would come and die specifically for those people. And then the Holy Spirit would apply the election and the redemption to those people at a point in time by drawing them irresistibly to Jesus. So there is an all in this passage of Scripture. And this all has been given to Jesus by the Father. Now, we have to ask the question, what's the identity of the all? Does this mean every single person has been given to Jesus? Well, that can't be the answer because it's qualified there in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, coming to Jesus is synonymous for having faith, trusting in Christ, believing in Jesus, accepting him, whatever word you want to use, resting and receiving in Christ for salvation. And notice the, in the emphatic statement, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come. They will come. Not that they might come, not that they may perhaps come, not that they will be invited to come, given the opportunity to come. They may resist coming by using their libertarian free will. No, they will come. So there is an effectual giving of these people by the Father to the Son, and there is an emphatic coming. They will come. So all that the Father has given to Jesus will come. There's not any that have been given that won't come. They will come. And then what's going to result of the coming? They will never be cast out. This is the doctrine of eternal security or 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 perseverance of the saints. Because God has given them to Jesus... And because they have come to Jesus, they are secure in the sovereign grip of Jesus, and they will never be cast out. They are permanently secure from first to last. Okay, so verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me. I should lose nothing that all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, it's very important. Jesus, again, emphatically says, I'm not going to lose these. This all, this group, these individuals that have been given to me by the Father, they're never going to be cast out. I'm not going to lose them. And what's going to happen? I'm going to raise them up on the last day. That's the the final destination or the final reality of those who've been elected. They'll be raised up on the last day. That means they will be resurrected in their glorified bodies to spend eternity with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. They won't be raised up to face judgment and cast into hell. They'll never be cast out. They will be raised up to eternal life to spend eternity with Christ. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, there's a repetition. I will, I will raise him up on the last day. So you will look on the Son, you will believe, you will come. So John uses these verbs to describe faith. Looking to Jesus, believing in Jesus, coming to Jesus. What happens when you look to Jesus, when you come to Jesus, when you believe to Jesus? You'll have eternal life. You won't be cast out. You won't be lost and you'll be raised up on the last day. Now, does this 
include every single person who's ever lived? And the answer has to be no. Because here's the, the logical question. Does every single person come to faith in Jesus? Does every single person believe? Does every single person look to the Son and live? And the answer from Scripture and from experience is no. So you have a problem. If you believe that the Father has given everybody to Jesus, then there's a failure on the part of the Father because those that were given to Jesus will come. And so if everybody comes which we know is not true, and only some come, then what's the issue with those that don't come? Well, the reason that they don't come in faith is because they were not given to Jesus by the Father. Or to state it another way, they were not sovereignly, individually, unconditionally chosen before the foundation of the world by the Father and given to the Son in the covenant of redemption. Because if they would have been given by the Father, they will come and they will not be lost, and they will be raised up on the last day. Now let's keep going. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Okay, so they're grumbling. They're complaining. They are excusing the situation they they don't understand they're not addressing the issue jesus says you're not believing what they should have been thinking at that point is i should come to jesus i should believe in jesus i should hear the, the words of jesus I, I should come in faith and jesus says the reason you're not doing that and you're, you're not even clued into that is because you're not elect you haven't been given and evidence that they haven't been given is they are grumbling and all they're thinking about is temporal things isn't this the, the son of the carpenter that we know from Nazareth? We know his parents. How dare he put himself on, the, on par with even Moses? I mean, Moses didn't say, I'm the bread of life. Moses was the instrument that God used in the Old Testament, and the, and the bread came down from heaven, but the bread came from the Father. It was the Heavenly Father who sent the bread. How dare Jesus make himself equal with the Father here and say, he is the bread of life? Th th this is ridiculous. This is offensive. So, they are offended at the words of Jesus. They're grumbling at the words of Jesus. They're not coming in faith. They're not looking to Jesus as the source of life. They're not believing. Because if they had believed, they would come to Jesus for life. And Jesus says, you've seen me and you're not coming. What's the reason? You've not been given. You've not been chosen. If you had been, you would come. Let's keep reading. Verse 43. And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, let's look at verse 44. No one can come. Again, what does coming mean? Coming is synonymous with believing, trusting. And that word can in the original language is the Greek word dunamis, which means power or ability. So what Jesus is saying is no one has the power or the ability inherently in and of themselves to believe, to come. You can't do it. There is an inability to believe. Now, it almost sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself because he's saying earlier, all that the Father gives to me will come. And now he's saying no one can come. And so you have to ask yourself, well, what is it, Jesus? Are, are they going to come? Are they not going to come? How, how come they can't come? 
Well, Jesus does not expound upon it here, but Paul does in his letters, if we look at the entire scope of Scripture, again, I'm not going to jump out of John 6, but I'm going to just give a few cross-references here real quick to, to corroborate Scripture. We know from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, that we are spiritually dead, that we're children of wrath. We know from Romans chapter 8 that we are at enmity with God. We, we cannot please God. We cannot do the things that, that please God. We're hostile to God. So there is an inherent inability to believe. And our answer to that is not judicial hardening that the provisionist says. The reason they, they can't believe is because they're judicially hardened at this time. And they've, they've hardened themselves. They put themselves in this place by continually refusing. No, there's nothing in the text that says that. There, there's mere inability that we know if we, we follow just the gospel of John, back in John chapter 3, actually you go all the way back to John chapter 1, let's just, let's stay in John. I said I wasn't going to jump out of John 6, but we can stay contextually in the gospel of John because how does John start it in his prologue? He says there in verse 11, John chapter 1 verse 11, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, introducing the verbs here again, receiving him, believing in him, in the gospel of John, believing, receiving, coming, looking to the Son, it's all synonyms for trusting in Christ. So there is a, a human element here of believing, receiving, trusting in Christ. Yes, but why? Why? And John brings it up from the very beginning of, of the gospel here in the prologue. Why do people receive Jesus? Because they've been born of God. They didn't produce it in themselves. It didn't come from their own free will. They had to be born from above. And then John reiterates it in John chapter 3 when Jesus has his conversation with Nicodemus and says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You cannot... Um, enter the kingdom of heaven you have to be born of the holy spirit like the wind spirit gives birth flesh gives birth to flesh but spirit gives birth to spirit so again john is building or jesus is building a case in the gospel of john, john john's building the case as he's as he's reporting this that there is a spiritual inability to come to jesus in faith to receive jesus to look upon jesus to believe to trust Unless a person is born again, unless they're born of God, something has to happen to the person to enable them to come. And right here in John 6, he says no one can come, has the ability to come, has the power to come. Unless, there's an unless there. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, let's talk about this issue of drawing. You can't come because you're spiritually dead. You can't come because you can't give birth to spiritual things in your life. The Holy Spirit has to blow. You can't produce this coming. And if you were given to Jesus by the Father, you will come, but you can't come, so something has to happen to you. The Father has to draw. Now, we can talk about the Greek word helko here, which means to drag or whatever, I'm not as concerned with the etymology of the word draw because the provisionist or even the Arminian will say, well, this is not an irresistible drawing. It's a wooing. It's a drawing. It can be resisted. It's not effectual. It's not sovereign. It's something God does. There has to be the drawing, but it can be resisted. 
But here's the question. Regardless of how you understand that Greek word, let's let the text speak for itself in the context. If no one can come, and yet all that the Father has given to Jesus will come, then there is an emphatic coming of a certain group of people that will come. They will come. Well, how do they come? They come by the drawing. So the drawing has to be effectual because it doesn't make any sense for God to give a people to Jesus and then say those people will emphatically come and then once those people are drawn, then only some come. So you have to break up this whole Trinitarian idea of sovereign election. So what you have is, okay, the Father gives everybody to Jesus. Jesus dies for everybody, and then the Holy Spirit comes and draws everybody, but only those who use their free will to not resist are the ones that come. That's not what the text is saying. There's a clear pattern. The Father gives and all a specific group of people to the Son. That particular group will come. Not may come, may not resist, choose not to, they will come. Well, why do they come? Because Jesus says they can't come unless something happens to them. Why do they come? They come because they've been drawn. They've been effectually drawn by the Father to come. And they will be raised up on the last day. It's very important. Jesus, this is the third time Jesus says, I will raise them up on the last day. And it goes back to those that believe. Back to those that have been given. Back to those that he's going to lose none. So, so, so here's the greatest theological answer for reform theology. Now, this is a theological answer that comes from the entire scope of Scripture, but really what we see here in John chapter 1, John chapter 3, and John chapter 6, the Trinitarian harmony in bringing a specific group of people to salvation. And what do I mean by that? The Father sovereignly predestines certain individuals unconditionally before the foundation of the world to be saved. The Father gives a group of people to Jesus. Jesus will be lifted up on the cross. He will specifically die for those particular people, obtaining their eternal redemption, not just making them savable, not just a hypothetical salvation, but actually redeeming them, paying for them, purchasing them. them. And then those people will come when they are drawn effectually they will come and and that's the work of the holy spirit so the holy spirit will only draw those whom are elected and those for whom jesus died and they will come they won't resist they will come and they won't be lost they'll be raised up on the last day and then verse 45 it is written in the prophets and they will be taught by god everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from, the God, from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 54, 13. They will be taught by God. Everyone who's learned and heard from the Father comes to me. Now, here's the, the novel provisionist interpretation. What they'll say is, well, these Jews who had previously been taught by God through Judaism, through the Old Testament, through their time in the synagogue, they, they were already hearing and learning from the Father. And so 
they kind of like intuitively knew that the Messiah was coming. And once Jesus shows up, those are the ones that are drawn because they'd already put themselves in a position to be drawn because they'd already been learning from the Father and, and hearing from the Father, and they were open to Jesus as Messiah when the Son comes. So when the Son comes, they hear the voice of the Son because they've already been listening to the Father. Okay. That's not what this text means. You have to ask the question, what is the means by which the Father draws the elect? What's the means by which the Father draws the elect? And it's the same thing, the same question today as it is back then. What is the means by which the Holy Spirit draws, calls, effectuates the salvation of the elect. And, and the answer is given there. You are taught by God. You are hearing and learning from the Father. It comes through the gospel being preached. And so God has to teach you. God has to do a work in your heart to open your eyes. You have to be taught. You have to hear the word. It's the word and spirit together. That's the means by which the drawing comes. The drawing comes by the means of the Word. So the Word is preached externally, and the Holy Spirit takes the external Word preached and does an internal teaching, an internal effectual calling. And so the means here by which a person is drawn is the teaching, the hearing, the learning from the Father. Not a predisposed action that happened beforehand where you just kind of learn this stuff and then when Jesus comes along, you, you're already ready to be drawn because you've already been listening to the Father. No, the means of the drawing is the hearing. So when Jesus comes and preaches the truth to these people, as he's doing right now, he, he's preaching the truth, he's, he's teaching them the words of the Father, and what is he saying to them? You're not believing. You're not, be, you're not learning from the Father. You're not hearing from the Father. You're not being drawn by the Father. Why? Because you can't come. Why? Because you're spiritually dead. And ultimately, why? Because you're not elect. You weren't given by the Father to the Son, because if you had been, you will come. Then you go all the way down, I and mean, we can go all the way through chapter 6. You can go down to verse um, 65. He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, this is almost the same exact construction as verse 44. No one can come to me unless. Okay, same exact Greek construction. No one can come to me. No one has the ability to come to me unless. Now, in verse 44, the Father draws. In verse 65, it's granted or given. Now, here's also the novel interpretation given by the provisionist. When they see the word granted, they take that to mean God has granted them an opportunity to believe. God has given them the, 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 the ability in that moment to use their libertarian free will when the gospel appeal is preached to believe. So they look at granted as God giving them an opportunity. God giving them a chance. They don't see that as a sovereign, effectual drawing or granting. Like a parallel statement there. Drawing and granting are parallel statements because it's the same Greek construction. God has to grant you coming. In other words, God has to grant the faith. God has to grant the coming. God has to grant the, the believing. Why? Because you can't come on your own. You can't believe on your own. You can't look to Jesus on your own. You have to be drawn. You have to be given the gifts of repentance and faith. And so as you go through John chapter 6, 
you see the work of the Father in choosing, the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing or granting, and then human responsibility and faith coming to Jesus. But the, the coming, the believing, is a result of two steps behind it. Okay, why do, So let's ask it this way. Why does a sinner come to faith in Jesus? There are two ways to answer that that are the divide between the two camps. Why does a sinner believe in Jesus? The biblical answer here from John chapter 6, which is also the Reformed answer, is a sinner comes to faith in Jesus because, number one, they were given to Jesus by the Father in sovereign election. That's number one, before the foundation of the world. And number two, the Holy Spirit effectually drew them, and they could not resist, and therefore they did come. They infallibly came. Why do sinners come to faith in Jesus? They were chosen by the Father, and they were effectually called and drawn by the Spirit. That's the biblical answer. That's the Reformed answer. What's the other answer? Why does a sinner come to faith in Jesus? Because of libertarian free will, when given the gospel appeal, they have the ability to say yes or to say no, to resist the drawing, or merely use the opportunity given to them to reject or accept the gospel. There is no inability spiritually or morally before birth, at birth through the fall of Adam that renders us morally and spiritually dead in our sins. None of that. There's not this individual election unto salvation unconditionally before the foundation of the world. That's not there. The bottom line is a sinner comes to faith in Jesus because God has provided the means. God has invited them. God's provided a potential atonement. Jesus died to make salvation possible, but it doesn't really become activated until you use your libertarian free will to come to faith. And, and when you're drawn, you can resist that drawing. It's not an effectual, sovereign drawing. It's a wooing. It's an enabling, but it doesn't bring you all the way. Because at the end of the day, the two views are one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have sovereignly done everything necessary to bring a sinner to faith from first to last. Or, ultimately, you're in the driver's seat using your libertarian free will, and at the end of the day, you chose Jesus or you rejected Jesus because it was up to you. That's really the bottom line between the two views. And so you can bring in judicial hardening. You can bring in this drawing is not irresistible. You can bring in that God only grants an opportunity to believe. All these different things that you can bring in from the provisionist perspective, but they don't do justice exegetically to John chapter 6. So here's my, my closing argument. Only a Calvinist can properly and exegetically walk through John chapter 6 and come to the conclusions that salvation is of the Lord, not the libertarian free will of men. Well, hopefully this little jaunt through John 6 has been helpful. Again, I thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I do appreciate all my listeners. If you do want to contact me, you can go to seancole.net and find my contact information. I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas for a future podcast, 
that would be great. Again, if you're going to be at G3, I'd love to connect with you. Again, check out the book. It's in the show notes as far as the link, uh, 40 Days in Philippians. Again, let's all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus.